1: Hi I'm Alexis the midwife and I'm Becky the doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. And if you enjoy this episode don't forget to
2: subscribe on Acast, iTunes and Spotify and follow us over on Instagram.
1: So pop the kettle on, pour yourself a cuppa, get comfy and enjoy this week's episode of Notes from the Mother Box.
2: Today, we're really lucky to have the awesome Helen Thorne with us. For those that don't know her, Helen is a mother, comedian, author, one half of the fabulous Scummy Mummies, and a bloody lovely person to boot. Helen, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: How are you doing? I am great. And what a lovely introduction. What a lovely thing to say about little old me. I am thrilled to be on this podcast. Thank you for having me. And I'm just just sorry I'm not all, t- we're all together in a I room. Know. But we're, we're Zooming, we're Zooming together as best
2: we can. Which is lovely. So Helen, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you become one
3: half of the Scummy Mummies? So the Scummy Mummies started seven years ago, almost to the day. And Ellie and I met uh, doing stand-up. Uh, So we were both doing like, you know, five minute sets uh, at a fairly crappy uh, stand up um, event. And um, we just sort of fell in love like our our eyes met across the (laughs) stage. And I just thought she was the coolest person. She was wearing a denim jacket. She was drinking a pint. uh, And she did this fantastic set about, you know, being a mom and parenthood and being in uh, a long term relationship. And I just thought she was really cool. And we chatted afterwards and realized we both lived in Forest Hill in London and then, um, yeah, just said, oh, should we meet up for a beer? And, yeah, and just became friends and then used to make each other laugh and we used to go to comedy gigs together, both again doing our five-minute sets. And then just one day Ellie emailed me out of the blue and said, I think we should do a podcast and I think we should call it Scummy Mummies. And that was sort of June – June and then we recorded it and then we put it out in the July and because she's really techie her background is she's a um, video games journalist a really successful one and has been on TV and all sorts of stuff and so she said look I can do the tech stuff let's you know let's just create something and we put it up and there wasn't much around that kind of flavor of podcast mm. um, about parenthood, and you know, blogging was still a very big thing, that's how parenthood was being kind of discussed in that kind of forum yeah. and that platform. Um, so yeah, and yeah, and it just has gone from strength to strength, and now it has been downloaded four million times wow. and, and is listened to in 150 different countries. That so is incredible, it's, yes, it's we're really proud of it. And then we started the podcast in the July, and then because we'd both done stand up, we thought, well, why don't mm-hmm. we do a, a live show? And so, and I think you guys have been to the live show. The live show is very yes. different from the podcast. The podcast is an interview. The live show is like sketches and songs and all sorts yeah. of things. And we thought, oh, let's 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 give that a go. So we wrote like an hour show and put it on at the Lewisham Fringe, the uh, very very very, <laughs> very salubrious Lewisham Fringe in the November. And then that that had a great response as well. So everything we've sort of done has done well. And then a few years later, we wrote a book. And yeah, and everything's sort of escalated. And then uh, coming to the crescendo last year of doing a fully sold out uh, Edinburgh Festival um, run. So, and that was like a month of performing every day. So that was really exciting. Um, but what is the most rewarding thing? I think not just like creating stuff and hanging out with Ellie, but how the comedy or what w- w- was going to say, think the most rewarding thing is is the response from Mm. other mums and people for what we do that is the most rewarding thing and i'm sure you're the same in your professions is is what what it does to other people Mm. and what it means to other people
1: i think that everything that you're saying and how much you've been listened to and how much people embrace you and i've got lots of different friends genuinely live all over the country Friends in Yorkshire, Bristol, London, down here in Brighton, who've been to see your show. None of them know each other. They're all very sort of different characters who have got so much out of it. And what it what it tells me, and I knew this anyway, but it just really consolidates it with me, is that humour when we are going through big life events is just absolutely essential. And I sort of think back, I was talking about this with Becky. When I know this is a slightly different thing, but when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, I can't tell you the amount of inappropriate humor that we had while he was on his cancer journey. Subsequently, really sadly, he he died. He didn't make it sadly. But the humor then that got us through as a family, my mum, my sister and I, in the darkest moments, it just it lifts your spirit and it Mm. just it turns an eye on, on those highs and lows, those corners of being what makes us human, really, isn't it?
3: Yeah. yeah, and we crave that. We re- we crave that release. And yes. and we re- crave that comfort of of humor as well. And I think you know, and I think we all agree there are some dark moments of parenthood yes. and motherhood and loneliness. Definitely. And also those those moments where you just don't feel like you anymore yeah. and you've lost yep you know you just can't find who you were and everything is different everything is wonderful and you've gained so much but you feel you feel the losses very deeply totally. and and so i think um i think you know and i'm not i'm not i'm not mm-hmm. pretending what we do is particularly sophisticated and you know what our brand of humor is like but it taps into something that is quite raw and quite you know so many uh, audience members are saying going oh it's what I've thought, but I haven't said out. Yeah. You know, That's out it. Loud. Yeah. it gives That's us exactly permission, what I was thinking. Doesn't it? It gives
2: us permission totally. to not love every minute. And I know like my eldest is 14. And when she was born... I think Facebook was just coming out, and there wasn't there wasn't a platform to have that those conversations. There wasn't a narrative that said it's okay to not love every minute. Actually, and I remember going to playgroups, and there was this sort of very Stepford Mum vibe. You know, everyone was sort of really smiling, but totally dead behind the eyes, and it was really we all know that, (laughs) and it was really isolating because I thought. I, yeah. you know, and I remember sort of rocking up one morning. I'd had an awful night with Ella. She hadn't. She was a nightmare sleeper. She was, I was really tired, and all the mums were like, "How are you?" And I was like, "Well, actually, I nearly put her on eBay this morning, and it just went dead. Like no joke, no laugh." And I was like, <laughs> "Oh." This is, this is, these are not my people. And I just wanted somebody no. that would go, yeah, right. Isn't it, you know, and, and be able to kind of mm. laugh, like like you say, laugh about mm. it. Um, and that's what I love about your show is that it makes you just crack up at all
1: the stuff. And it makes you feel quite united with other women. You're like, you're all mm, going totally. through it together. So I agree. And I think people come and see you, Helen. They come and see you and Ellie. And I just think you say what they're thinking. And especially if they're a first time mum and they still feel like they shouldn't be saying those things. I'm three kids down the road now, so I'm perfectly happy (laughs) to have a whinge and a whine on the regular. But perhaps they think, no, I should be enjoying all the moments. I should be just absolutely overcome by gratitude. But it's so unhelpful, isn't it, to not be able to just say, you know what? The last couple of days have
3: absolutely flawed me. And it's funny because we sometimes do those bring a baby along gigs, which, you know, a different vibe, uh, let's say, to the, light, the late night um, drunken debauch fest that is, you know, our, our shows. But Ellie and I, we did this show once too, and they're quite young new mums holding these babies. They looked fucking horrified when we were saying some of this stuff and they looked kind of shell-shocked. We were like, don't worry. It'll make sense in a few years, you know, because their babies weren't walking or weaning <laughs> or toilet training and all that sort of stuff that we know is very tricky. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's really true. And and so many times we've got, Definitely. like, NCT groups who come out together and it might be their first night out as a group and, and they're usually the ones in the lose throwing up because... <laughs> Haven't had a drink for a long time and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I think it's I think it's really important. I think from the get-go that you realize, um, you know, there's some there's gonna be some dark moments. And I, the best advice I got from a friend was is she said, Some days you're gonna hate it. You you're just gonna hate being a mum. And it's hard. And but the next day you won't. But that's it, you know. So that was good advice. I think it's good to talk about the fact that it can feel boring and
1: relentless and laborious, and it's kind of like Obviously, alongside all the, jo- you know, the joy and that, oh, God, I've made a human being. This is miraculous. Yeah. But I think the two can coexist. You can love your kids and still have a bloody awful couple of days and think where did my life before I have children go to you know and grieve that as well yeah
2: and I say that to women in in the clinic they come in and they're sort of they're almost quite apologetic about the fact that they're not loving every minute of it and you're like how you feel about your baby and how you feel about your whole identity changing are two very different things just because you're struggling with your Mm. new identity change doesn't mean you don't love your baby like they're they're such separate but in our society it's this narrative isn't it that we have to just be happy all the time and not talk badly about our children and not ever moan about it and and be grateful and all the stuff that of course we are but it is mm. boring sometimes you know Lex and I always yeah, laugh about that yeah. sort of feeling like this life of servitude and it's like what about me mm. <laughs>
3: Exactly. Yeah, I just remember, you know, having money in my account, you know, just a tiny bit of money, especially when I had two young kids and working part-time. And I thought, oh, I could get the kids some new things and them some new shoes and all that sort of stuff. And I was just out of the habit of actually even treating yeah. myself. Mm. Like I just thought all the okay. money I have, I should be, you know, they should be having start-right shoes and they mm. should be, you know, another yeah. another lovely trip to the zoo or the museum or whatever. I think I was just, you just forget about putting yourself first, even just for a tiny Definitely. little bit. I remember
1: um, when Toby my eldest was a little baby and I spent three hours making him a quinoa pastry Annabelle Carmel quiche while I was weaning him and you know what he did obviously was he just took one look at it and threw it on the floor and I remember crying in the kitchen about it and I think Mm. I just after that was like basically Ella's kitchen all the way
3: (laughs) yeah absolutely just squared it in we just put ourselves under so much pressure don't we yeah one of my
1: favorite things
2: about your show and Leckie's got a really good story about this that I think was it your sister-in-law told you was was you know your confessions that you get from your mummies and what was the one Lex that you had
1: yes I, I don't know if you remember this one Helen but one of my friends was saying about one where a mum had gone to kiss her child goodbye at the school <gasps> gates or something I'll let you tell the story do you know what I'm gonna say no please say it because it's it's, it's like one of the best moments of my life please, it please say it, makes me laugh. I think the kid was a bit emotional going into school And the mum went down Standing beside the male teacher You know give mummy a kiss before school starts Mum goes down to kiss the child Child moves and the mum kisses the teacher's (laughs) groin By mistake is this ringing a bell for you?
3: <laughs> yes, yes. It's one of my favourite confessions of all time. And the crowd lost it, like it just went yeah. absolutely wild. And then she, obviously she won because yeah. that is like one of the best ones ever. And she came up on stage fist pumping. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. It was really yeah. funny. But that is like the most horrifically <laughs> embarrassing experience. And I, I think it was like the first day of school. So that's how she started <laughs> mm. that relationship with that teacher. Oh, my God. It was so good. Have you got any other good ones? Oh, yeah, hundreds. But um, one of my favourite ones was someone was describing they had their posh auntie and uncle over for lunch and they said, children, children, go upstairs and get dressed. And the older two came down looking, you know, very respectable and the four-year-old was just taking ages and she came down the stairs wearing her mum's French (laughs) maid dress holding a fairy wand. Why did they
1: find it? Where did they find it? This is total over-disclosure what I'm going to say say now but it's still one of the funniest moments I've ever had as a parent. So I, I had a fertility journey to get pregnant with my eldest. And during that time I bought some fertility lubrication, right? So it's meant mm. to make it easier for the swimmers.
3: Yes. So yes. it
1: it was in my side drawer and a couple of years later I just hadn't moved it and my ch- I actually had had a child by then and he was a toddler and the builders were in doing our bathroom. And I remember Toby toddling out of my bedroom while I was having a conversation about tiles and handing enthusiastically the fertility lubrication to Dave the Builder as a gift.
3: So good! They know, don't they? They just yeah. know. Yeah, we had, we've had we had many similar ones on the podcast, but when a child said, I know where a plunger is for the toilet, and then went into the back of the cupboard and pulled out her mum's dildo because she thought it was a, it was, it was a toilet like... oh my God. And she's like, how did she know it was there? Why? Why?
1: They just yeah. have a way, don't they? No. Going back to the Edinburgh Festival thing, because I've been to the Fringe, the festival a couple of times and I bloody love it. It's such a, like, it's such a wonderfully brilliant place to be. It's just fun on overload. How was it for you guys actually going, you did a month up there. What a yes. joy that must have been. How, how oh. was doing the shows
3: up at the Edinburgh Festival? It was just incredible. So we we had a flat for a week. A week? A month. We had a flat for a month and we did a show every night. I think we did 25 shows uh, in a row. We had one night off in the middle of it. Um, Yeah, it was an absolute buzz. And because we'd always said we were going to go to Edinburgh when we felt ready Mm -hmm. and we'd done shows for years and we thought, right, let's do it. And so we got ourselves a nice flat and we treated ourselves just really well. Like we'd do the show, go out for a drink, go out for a nice meal, have a sleep in, maybe go out for lunch, have a nap then do the show like we yeah. just it was this amazing kind of holiday but it is it was exciting to be part of the broader comedy scene because we just mm. tour as a, a duo and so we're not doing like you know the the saturday night friday yeah. night comedy clubs and i think mm. people have got a bit of more of a community and yeah. so it was really nice hanging out with other comedians and and feel like we're part of yeah. that group now but yeah just having a different audience every night and audience from around the world coming to see us was great and also A diverse audience in terms of, I mean, yes, there were lots of mums who came, but we also got young people, old people, people who just, you know, heard about the show and thought they'd like it. And I I think that was really satisfying in a way that the comedy kind of translated to them broader than parents. So that was really, really exciting. And also to be able to just
1: fully emerge, you like you and mm. Ellie and what you love to do and what you're so good at. I mean, you know that Becky and I've written a couple of books and they're, du- during that process, we've taken a couple of weeks and we've go, gone and stayed at my my in-laws, have a little cabin in Devon. And we've completely worked on the book for like a week each time. Mm. And the first time was even better because our illustrator came with us and it was just, it was so fun to be able to talk about what we wanted to talk about and to really get down to the nitty-gritty of what the writing was going to be about and I guess not have any distractions perhaps that was just yeah. brilliant, wasn't it Becky we found
2: when we were trying to write which you guys must have as well you, you have your session you get together and it's usually before pickup and you just get into the flow and you're like oh, I have mm. to stop and go and get the kids from school or kind of so it was nice to go and just completely hide away and fully immerse ourselves in it and and do nice things yeah and not get dressed and just
3: eat eat salt and vinegar yeah. crisps for lunch yeah in our pajamas Perfect. we we lived above a subway uh so there were a couple of mornings slash <laughs> you know late lunches where i did go down in I maybe pajamas it. with a coat uh and just caught myself nice. yeah <laughs> student life coke yeah it was great reliving it that <laughs> <laughs> no, was great it was really good but Edinburgh is open till 5 a.m every night <sighs> and so it just it never ends and it's really no. exciting and just seeing you know you'd be walking down the street and Eddie Izzard walks yeah. past you you're sort of amongst it's a really it's like yeah it is like being at yeah. like Glastonbury for yeah. a whole month you kind of really feel excited by it so yeah I think I'd, I so we good. were definitely not going to do it this year and we sort of said if we keep doing it, we'll Amazing. probably do it every second year yeah. because it's really full on and a big ask on um children and things like that. But um yeah, they were like, we want to stay the whole time next time, <laughs> mummy. I was like, <laughs> never. Um, <laughs> this is exactly. mummy's special time. Talking
2: of children, we, you know us, we love a birth story. How were your pregnancies
3: and how were your births? Yes. Well, I must say that I was very, very lucky. I had two very easy straightforward um pregnancies had a bit of morning sickness that was about it and i had two home births um and so both of them both of my children were born in the lounge in a blow-up pool and didn't have any stitches just had really i mean people are (laughs) listening to this podcast going what a cunt i what a what a terrible bitch um but i (laughs) <laughs> loved my births i love them i i had i did lots of pregnancy yoga mm. And so I was very much into uh, yes. this thing called the golden thread bread. Yes, and love I that. I basically was bovine in terms of my <laughs> all fours and mooing. But that's how I communicated with my midwife <laughs> was my was my sounds. I was really yeah. I feel really positive about both my births. And one baby was eight pounds three, and the next was Ooh. nine pounds eleven. Um, oh, lovely. So yeah. Sometimes I wish I had had some stitches. <laughs> I didn't have stitches for either of them. It may account for a few things, but um yeah, both both were very calm and you know, it did hurt. I'm not going to say mm-hmm. it didn't hurt, but yeah, I felt really confident and really proud of my body for doing it. So, yeah. So, it is it is it's not it's not particularly scummy because I had like candles and classical music and all those sort of things. But yeah, it was just a for me Uh, I just wanted to try home birth probably Mm. purely out of laziness because I don't like leaving my house but I I had a really confident Mm. midwife she's like if you want to do that let's let's give it a go you know the hospital's 10 minutes down the road you know let's see what happens um yeah and the second birth my son there was a student there and that was her first birth and so that was a really lovely thing Mm. and I think it was halfway through laboring and they're like do you mind if a student comes (laughs) I was like fine anyone can come in that's at that sort of stage but yeah i I was with a practice called Oakwood Midwives, which I think is now called Juniper or something like that in south-east London. And, um, yeah, they were all fantastic. But I live on a cul-de-sac here in Mm. Forest Hill and all the women on my street have had home births. Wow. And we're all different shapes, sizes, ages, all the things. Mm. But I don't know what it is that we've all chosen to have. It was just the Mm. thing that this street did and all the midwives – um, delivered all these babies on the street. So it's a sort of, yeah, it's a really interesting kind of look at it because we all decided to do that yeah. and it worked out, which I know is is it, the odds are against us. Like there is there's going to be an intervention somewhere along the line. But I don't think it's a coincidence though,
1: Helen, because I do think there's something about what sort of becomes the status quo or what you see your friends and your sisters and your family doing it. I talk a lot about this in hypnobirthing Mm. is like when you see it around you, that's like the sort of social ecology and that's what's happening. It gives you confidence to kind of embrace that as, as the norm, most. So mm. it's in. It's so Brighton, for example, has a really high home birth rate. And I don't think, I think it's because mm. it just kind of ripples out. Like if people hear that people have had a positive home birth, they're like, well,
2: definitely, maybe I'll give
1: that a go too.
2: I think having a good team as well. Like you say, you were really confident in your team and they'd done all the other, mm. you know, women on your cul-de-sac. I think when you're confident in your support team, that really helps as well, doesn't it? Kind of, I think my, I tried for a home birth the first time and it was going beautifully, lovely, nice and relaxed. And then the heartbeat went a tiny bit funny. You know, you sort of weren't quite sure. And my midwife panicked a little bit mm. and it really panicked me. And then my contraction stopped. And it was really interesting for me because mm. I'd worked with women mm. throughout birth before having my own kids, which was obviously very different because then you suddenly, yeah. you know, nothing prepares you for having your own baby. Because you're like, I'll be fine. And then no. you're like, ah. <laughs> breathe yeah breathe no but actually <laughs> it was you know we always talk about fear being your worst enemy in labor and it getting in the way and interrupting all the hormones and that was exactly for me I just shut down my body just shut down and I just stopped contracting and we had to then transfer in and I had to have you know a bit of help to have her but um mm. yeah it was really interesting for me to see that that definitely happens you know that fear sits in and your body goes nah I don't feel safe so
3: yeah, I think I think that's right. And yeah, there was a really robust woman called Jackie who's from Glasgow like a re- you know the, that kind of yeah. St- yeah. stocky Scot who was fantastic and she's like <laughs> have some sex. I was like I don't want to have sex. I want to she's like bit of nipple stimulation i was like no i
1: don't want to touch me no no, no. <laughs> i want
3: things to come out not go in
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad we now tell women to express colostrum as a way of like you know so we say you know from about 37 weeks mm. you know mm. whereas for me they kept saying just go home and play with your nipples and i was like oh, i've got to, i've got the laundry and the washing and it, i just don't really feel like playing with my nipples right now yeah <laughs> it's kind of like at least if you're actively no. doing something, you're like, oh, OK, I'm, I'm getting the colostrum out, you know, it's sort of.
3: Yes, it feels a bit more medical than sexual. And I think I think that's the switch in yeah. your brain. You're like, yeah. no, 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 I'm doing this is the thing. Oh, no. But yeah, totally.
1: And what about going into the postnatal period, Helen? Like, how did it feel the first few months, especially
3: with your first? I think I was so hung up about being the perfect mum. I don't think that mm. did me any good. Mm. I was in like an NCT group and they were friends. I'd only been living in England for two years. Yeah. And so as, a, you know, I was an Australian. I was living in Cambridge at the time. And, yeah, I think I didn't have any like really close friends Really good friends. I mean, on the phone, yeah. of, course, of course, but it wasn't like a mate could mm-hmm. just go, Right, I'm taking you out for a cup of tea. So I, I felt I had to be a particular way. And I sort of looked back and going, Just calm down, mm-hmm. Helen. You know, you didn't have to do all those sort of things. And I was so determined. So I think, I think, you know, the second. Postnatal time was so much more chill because I would just sit on the sofa eating biscuits yeah. and I wasn't going to every single play group. And I remember taking Matilda when... I think she was about three weeks old and just wanting to do baby yoga mm. and all the things and putting so much pressure on myself. Mm. So Absolutely. I think, yeah, and I'd had, I think, for the first three weeks my mum was there and then for the next month my um, then-husband's parents came out and I found actually really stressful more than helpful mm. because yeah. I just I just wanted to hold my baby and they were like, oh, we want to hold the baby because mm. we're here from Australia for a short time and and that was a bit of tension between us because yeah. I was like, I just wanted to get the breastfeeding and the bonding and all that sort of stuff. And I felt real pressure to hand the baby over all the time and I didn't want to do that. Mm. Yeah, so I think, and now looking back at that now, I should have just articulated that better. But um, yeah, yeah, so I think there was yeah definitely at times where I was I just didn't really I was a good sort of confident mum and you know the Matilda was thriving and all that sort of stuff. But I was just there's lot there's lots of inner turmoils and mm. um, about it all. But yeah. yeah,
2: I think it's stuff we've been drip fed as well throughout society. Aren't we, you know like as soon as a woman in in our culture over here anyway, as soon as a woman has a baby, you know the amount of times you hear people say, oh I saw her on day three, all dressed up, walking the dog, she looked amazing, and it's like we congratulate women. And And it wasn't until Mm. I did some training abroad where they're so strict about your postnatal recovery and you would have been bollocked and dragged home and put back to bed if you were out dressed, you know, fully in makeup on day three. And almost like you were congratulated for resting if your house was a mess, if you weren't made, you know, if you hadn't washed and that was what you were supposed to be Mm -hmm. doing. And it was a real brain thing for me because I just thought oh god this is exactly how it should be when you look at the physiology of what happens to your body after birth but we're just not told Mm -hmm. that are we here and like our narrative has never been that it's always kind of pretend like nothing happened and you know it's it's crazy yeah I went for
3: a 45 minute walk on day three my Ah. uh then husband said oh let's get her registered at the thing why don't we just walk and I was like yeah why don't we walk? And my mum was so angry with him because yeah. she's like, she needs to be in bed. Like she doesn't need to go for a forty-five minute walk to yeah. the registry office to. And I was like, what was I? Yeah. You, but you're you're absolutely yeah. Dullali. I also think, I, and I Becky
1: and I always talk about this is that I think you do have adrenaline in your system. There's a mm. lot of hormonal changes going on, especially the week, the, specifically the week after the baby's born. Yeah. And we sometimes can, you know, mistaken that mm. adrenaline in our system for energy. And we think we can go for a 45 minute walk and then we're on our knees at 11 o'clock at night getting yes. that bed dread because we know we're going to have a night of it feeding a baby yeah. and it's
3: potentially on our shoulders. And actually mm. it comes back to bite you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I I had a really bad, inf- know, sorry listener for the details, I had a really bad infected skin tag oh, on my darling. vagina. And mm. I think it was because I was too active Mm. you know and the doctor had said you know when the skin rubs you can form a skin tag and I thought actually it's probably because I was doing too much walking and too much um and it was really painful really I don't know if you've encountered vaginal skin tags before but it was not a very nice thing Mm. um and I had to have it burnt off at at week 11 (laughs) my toes just curled (laughs) (laughs) cauterized Yes, (laughs) oh, yes, burnt fanny. (laughs) Oh, love. (laughs) It's not appealing, is it? (laughs) No, and I think it was my body's way of going, listen, listen, calm down.
1: I am a big believer in that. I think you you can't ignore these signs when sort of your well-being gets compromised whether it's that or, or mental health or you know mm. extreme fatigue whatever's going on little signs don't ignore them because your body is mm. quite clever at communicating with you and telling you enough again that's another
2: thing I like about your show is that it sort of gives you permission to not be made up and fully doled up and completely you know and, and to sort of like it's okay if you mm. do let yourself go a little bit for a little while you know just while you kind of work out what's going on and and I remember the first time I saw you guys I was like I just wanted to like mm. jump up and go yes I love you girls because it was the first time anyone had ever you know spoken to that many people that's the that's the Mm. thing right for us we're dealing one-on-one there's only so many women we can actually access and, and share information with which is why writing the books was so good but I feel like your show does exactly the same. It just lets mm. women go, do you know what? It's okay. It's all okay. And I love that. I I think it's amazing.
3: No, that's what's really nice. So after the shows, we do a meet and greet because there were so many times we would get off stage and people were like, "I just have to I just mm. have to tell you this or whatever." And and so that's now become a bit of a tradition. We sell our book and and, you know, sell a t-shirt or whatever. But most of the time we say, "Look, if you want to just come up and say hi, that's fine." And, you know, just to be hugged by, Mm. I mean, we talk about this now so wistfully, it was hugged by all these women and and people share, and you, you know these women, who come up and they will say, Ellie and I will get the feeling before we've seen them saying, I've had postnatal depression Mm. and your podcast really helped me and I feel like you're my friend. And I was like, come in, bring it in, bring it in. Come on, let's smash our boobs together. And I think that's, that's, again, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, that's been the joy of what Ellie and I do and what we've achieved is that um, connection with women and making them just go, oh, no, it's normal, I'm normal, everything's Mm. fine. Uh, even when it's not fine. So, yeah, so that's been really rewarding. And that's such a massive
1: point, though, Helen. It's like you're offering, maybe not even realising it, this community to women who perhaps at times feel lonely and isolated and they're judging themselves. And and then suddenly you create this outlet for them. And it does not surprise me at all. In fact, I think Becky and I have had this conversation. I I thought literally you would have um, some ladies who've been through, you know, mental illness would just really find you guys inspiring and kind of put a smile back on their face when they're perhaps experiencing Mm. some of the most challenging times of their lives.
3: Yeah and um, nearly five months ago I became separated just before Mm. lockdown and so Ellie and I released a podcast talking about that because we thought everything about what we do is honest and we shared and we thought we need to talk about this and I'd spent three months not mentioning being single mm. on on um just out of respect for my children and I and I wanted to feel ready yeah. as well because it was such a big life change and so we did this podcast in which we basically talked about yeah. my separation and and our friendship and I have had literally hundreds of messages from around the world yeah. from women who did cry when they listened to me and Ellie cry and um but uh but also words of encouragement from people saying, Mm. I've been through this, you can do it. So it was like they were giving me advice, which was really sweet. And I felt great comfort in these, you know, essentially strangers who had reached out to me. So that's really nice. And I feel now, and I've talked to my therapist about this, that I feel like I've got this platform now to talk about being a single parent. And I feel like that's quite a privilege to talk about that.
1: We both listened to that podcast, Helen, and it was...
2: I know I was a mess I have to say I'm
1: so sorry guys (laughs) And do you know what
2: I think it was there were so many levels I just obviously felt for you and what you've had to go through and just your friendship comes through so beautifully like you know and then when she starts crying as well and so I cried Mm. when I was listening to it and then I went over to Leckie's and we were doing a bit of brainstorming about this session and writing down notes and I was recounting that I'd listened to this and I cried again when I was telling her by the way that is
1: absolutely true We're very emotional, good but Becky good. Becky is the most emotional
3: <laughs> i I'm like that in, in my relationship with Ellie yes, I'm the crier,
1: <laughs> but again, I, I go back to it's what you know it's these different layers, it's these experiences that we go through in life, which these ugly moments in life, like I, I talk very openly about grief and losing my dad, and I talk about it so much with the kids, I never want to shy away from that mm. and what that looks like and how that feels. When you've loved someone dearly And something has been lost from your life In that way Mm. And I think that again, Helen, that Mm. validates Women's feelings in their own lives About when they go through big changes
3: Yeah, and one of the things Because I'm a very positive person And I like being happy And I like spreading happiness Mm. But one of the things my therapist kept saying to me Is like, you're allowed to be angry Yes, You're allowed to be cross About this And, you know uh, I'm not that I will go into any details about my mm. separation. But you you can experience these emotions. You don't always have to say, anyway, today's sunny and the kids are healthy. Like I, you know, make all yeah. these lists of gratitude and all that sort of stuff going, I can do this. It's like, no, be pissed off. Be really, really fucking angry about it. Yeah. And and let that out because even if you think you're not angry or you're pretending or you don't want to be angry. Mm. It's still there. The rage yeah. is still there, and you have to let it pass through you because totally. it won't go away. <laughs>
2: Definitely. And I I see that so much in my work, you know, so I predominantly work with pre and postnatal women, but I then work with women all the way through their lives because they Mm. they tend to come back. And often they've gone through stuff. And, you know, we'll be, there'll be a bit of a kind of a muscular tension that isn't really muscular. I'm like, no, it doesn't feel like the muscles and I kind of fiddle about and we have a little thing and we do a bit of breath work. And then occasionally I'll say... I feel like you're really holding on to something and then it'll all come out Mm -hmm. and often it's anger because again I think as women we're fed this narrative that we have to be happy and nice all the time and it's not okay to be angry as women and I see it so so Mm -hmm. so often where women are buried and what you see is it plays out in the body and it comes out as a backache Mm -hmm. or you know as clenching your jaw and getting really bad headaches and and we always say if it doesn't come out front ways
3: it comes out sideways and better to better to get out the front way you know so yeah exactly Mm. and it's just not a natural thing for me and also to accept help and this is Mm. what I talked about in the podcast that I I would love I love you know taking lasagnas to people and doing that and caring and all that sort of stuff and it was a big thing Mm. to accept help and people going I'm going to cook you a dinner I was like oh no no you don't have to I'll just get a pizza it's fine it's fine it's fine and then just to me saying That would be really nice. Thank Mm. you for making me soup. Like it was just, Mm. and it was such a huge thing. And it feels, it feels, um, it feels so silly to accept a meal, but it was just that sort of, you know, (laughs) always wanting to be the strong person, all that sort of stuff. And like, no, I need help. I'm not. I'm not coping, this is really shit, this is really hard and especially in lockdown and so people would like run, put a dish on my front doorstep and then go and wave to them from the window going, thank you, bye. But I think that's like in parenthood as well and I'm sure Mm – I was like that with my first child, just going, I'm oh, fine. I know it's good. I can do this. Yeah. I, I will make lasagna myself. It's fine. I, it's, it's, you know, you're mental. Yeah. Absolutely mental.
1: We talk about this, don't we, Becky? And we often say, please just yeah. remember, and when I'm never teaching, you know, antenatal class or whatever, I'm like, it is an honour. It's an mm-hmm. honour to help a new mum. It's an honour to support your friend who's going through a separation. To yeah. be allowed into that inner circle and to be able to care for them and show Mm. your love for them in, in, you know, Mm. sometimes the most practical of ways. So by allowing those people to come in, Helen, and do that, I'm sure that that's how they felt as well, that they could just offer up a little something, like a a hug in a lasagna tray, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right.
2: And we always say as well, then you're opening up a dialogue. So if you accept help, which I used to, I'm getting a lot better, but I used to find it so hard, because like you, I I like to be the one that fixes and helps and, you know, kind of, And it's hard, right, Mm. to play that other role. But when you do do that, then you open up the dialogue, then people can ask you and it feels, Mm. you know, because otherwise people stop asking if you're the one Mm. helping all the time because they don't want to take the mickey and, you know. So it's really nice to kind of say, okay, I will accept your help this time, but then you ask me when you need it. And, it, you know, and it goes around and... Again that's what makes us feel connected doesn't it mm. as
3: women to to hold each other up through oh, those absolutely. times Oh absolutely yeah Definitely. it's really important and it's it was just it was just a, a very strange time but now I'm much better at that and now I'm much better mm. at saying what I want because I you mm. know I was in a in a marriage for 20 nearly 22 years or a mm. relationship for 22 years and always thinking about what the other person mm wants and needs and like, oh, I need to check with him. Yeah. Or what does he want for tea and all that sort of stuff. And now this freedom, now I go, yeah. I can do whatever I like. I can put that painting on that wall. I can play this music. I can, so th- there has been so many wonderful mm. outcomes from this separation as well. We're just going, oh, this is just about me now and my yeah. children and this is this new life. And so it feels, yeah, it feels really exciting about starting, you know, about new beginnings.
1: Frees up the mental load a bit,
3: yeah. doesn't it? Doesn't talk- it, Just, yes. Definitely. <laughs> Talking of wonderful outcomes, can we talk about the fireman? <laughs> oh yes, I, I will I will do that. <laughs> gladly so two weekends ago Ellie and I for the first time got to go away right we we're in a bubble I loved that
2: by the way I was like watching your stories and I was just feeling so much joy for you guys you look like you had such a roar like that go on girls
3: lads weekend uh, yeah so we went away to a little seaside town called Deal for the weekend it's our friend's place so they had gifted it to us as a, like saying you need to get out um and have some fun uh anyway on the Friday night I was like oh I just want to get rid of my wedding ring like it has to be a symbolic thing And Ellie was trying all these different types of oils from the cupboard. And look, I'm going to be honest. I was a size 12 when I was married. I am now a size 18 and very happy about that. But that ring was not going nowhere. And so lots of people on Instagram said, go to the fire station. Go to the fire station. They, This is what they do. And I was like, really? Really? And Ellie's like, right, we are going to the fire station tomorrow. So it was a one-hour walk. We marched our way to the fire station, knocked on the door. Nobody was in. We're like, oh, oh. And then all of a sudden Fireman Dan opens the door. And, and Ellie's like, my friend needs to have her ring off. And he's like, okay, yeah, we can do that. In your hop. Um, And then there were Then suddenly Four firemen appeared All very hot And muscular And hunky And I was like Oh my god This is like a fantasy And Ellie and Jesse uh, Had to stand back And we weren't allowed To film it because of all sorts of reasons but yeah they used a power saw and they sawed the <sighs> ring off it was a platinum ring it took ages they had to slip a piece of metal underneath so obviously it didn't cut through my skin but it was a power saw yeah Brrr, like and uh yeah and then they got <laughs> pliers i had like they iced my hand put it above my heart um, massaged all this and stuff and finally the ring came off and it was it was amazing and i say now say one man put it on and four men took it off <laughs> nice. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes. So it was quite it's symbolic, and we all cried, and it was lovely. And then, Aww. yeah,
2: we talk about that quite a lot, actually. In um, in other cultures, they're really good at having rituals and ceremonies to kind of mark occasions, particularly motherhood. Mm. So one of the things that I noticed when I moved back to the UK was that, like, you have your baby, and they go, "Okay, see you yeah, later," then you're like, "Oh, yeah. like." Where's where's my lovely like closing massage and my special soup that sim- symbolises yeah. you know whatever and I just think that it, you know when we go through big transitions in our life it's really nice to have have something to really mark the occasion and that's what when I was watching your stories I was like oh how lovely yes. that mm. that was happening with your girls and away and in, in a in a sort of time away from everything else it felt like a real sort of ceremony yes. almost you know it was yeah, brilliant exactly.
3: Oh, because who was telling me about, about the, is it the closing of the bones or the wrapping of yes, the bones? Yes, it's thing? amazing. And someone said you need to have something yes. like that as well that you, I need. Because, yeah, because, you know, I, I was going to say, I haven't been touched much really in the last few <laughs> months. And like, yeah, I feel now that you can have massages now, hallelujah, I, I want to like a really deep Tissue massage, I think, just to kind of close yeah. the bones and yeah, move it all. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I want to talk to you if it's okay about all the amazing sort of body confidence work you've done. To be honest, oh, thank you. And I'm talking about it for myself because oh, I don't talk about this much, and I probably won't talk about this a lot more after right now. But I find it hard even to say it. To be honest with you, but mm. I have a long life of being overweight, and I am the same size as you yeah Ellen. I'm an 18 yeah and I I don't know why but it makes me feel emotional even thinking about this so I'm gonna have to hold it in because I I am a bit of a cry at times <laughs> oh no oh, now stop I'm it. gonna cry I was really badly <laughs> I was really badly bullied as a child at school about my weight I, I was a child who um had a lot of puppy fat and then I grew very tall very quickly and I have spent a bit of time with a therapist talking about this and she said, you know, if we hadn't drawn attention to the weight at the time perhaps it would have never become a thing for you. But yeah. unfortunately that didn't happen and it absolutely did. And I've really really struggled with my own personal fat phobia journey which mm. revolves basically around me it's the Alexis fat phobia show. It's yeah. nobody else, it's just me. And I see you doing work like your podcast Fat Love Good which is amazing. I Remember, and I knew you already from the Scummy Mummies, but it was actually a friend of mine who we're a similar size. And she was the one who'd seen your Helen wears a size 18 Instagram and the, you know, back when you started it and sent a link to me. And then I started following that. And I suppose I just, I just want to thank you for having it out there, for talking about it, you know, openly, for not letting that shame and guilt that I seem to have in my life stop you from having a voice for the bigger lady Yes and, yes, and 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 seeing seeing it from another side, and I I wonder also how the hell did you get to this place of feeling, you know, so good about yourself, which you should do because you're amazing, and I feel like I should feel like that, and I don't. Everybody's
3: amazing. Everyone has an I know, amazing body. It's I not know, just me. Um, I know, but yeah, but I can't no, about everyone myself, does. Though, no, exactly, and it's it's a really big, it's a really big thing. It's a, it, it's like when Becky and I were talking about accepting help. It's about accepting yourself and accepting who you are. And I think comedy has had a huge influence. Like the fact that we mm-hmm. stand up in cat seats and no, I was going to say, and no one laughs. I mean, everybody laughs. Uh, <laughs>, <laughs> that women, it was, it was one of these things that grew. We were just like, because Ellie and I don't have any shame, we're like, "What can we wear that's really funny?" And we just saw these gold cat suits on of Amazon. Of course, your cat suits. And, um, I love those cat suits. Amazing. They just they had this amazing effect. And like mm. women we going, it's so nice to see a body like mine on stage. And as Sarah Millican said, I've got a before body, not an after body. Like yes. when you see before and after. And I was like, yeah, this is my body. I've had two children. I'm loved. I'm funny. Mm. I'm successful. Mm. My body doesn't define who I am. It doesn't make or break what I do. And I just, yeah, it took a long time because I was really badly bullied. I'm covered in stretch marks, always Mm -hmm. been fat, always, always been big. But I just made a decision to not let that stop me doing stuff. And also I think... What I've seen in the last couple of years is that now fashion brands have got curve ranges, Mm. they've got, there's just much more fun clothes as well. And I think that's changed a lot because, you know, you, I just thought I was going to be wearing leggings and, you know, tunics for the rest yeah. of my life. But now you can buy clothes that make you feel sexy, that are happy clothes, mm. you know. That, that account, Helen Wears a Size 18, and doing the podcast feels like a real privilege yeah. because I get messages every day from women going, I just wore a bikini for the first time in 20 years or I've just bought myself yeah. this dress or they share a jumpsuit or the messages I get from women make me cry. Yeah. They really make I me bet cry. They do. We just gotta cry all in, in this whole podcast. <laughs> but um it's so important to look after yourself mm. and and love what you wear and feel confident and all that sort of stuff. And I know it shouldn't be it doesn't matter what you look like, but, but you you've got to find that joy in yourself. Mm, Even if definitely. it's a pair of earrings or bright pink lipstick or something like that. That yeah, it is it is a really important it's not a frivolous thing because it's yeah. it's it's um you know, it can really start your day off well. You're like, oh, I look really cute today or, you know, yeah. I'm going to dye my hair this colour or whatever. And you don't have to spend much. Like you might just buy a really nice lippy from Superdrug and go, this is making me feel great. And so just like tiny little interventions of love for yourself is just really important. I love a black dress. I've got to be honest, I'm wearing like a black tunic dress right now. Yeah. But there's been a couple
1: of those you've put up and I've gone and um, bought myself, treated myself to a little couple of numbers.
3: Yeah, and I usually only put up stuff that I know I could probably afford if I was a working mum of two and so I keep the the things but also I try and support lots of independent brands and people send me stuff and I was like, yeah, of course I'll promote you and then they'll go, oh, we just sold out all our earrings because you posted it and that feels like a really nice way I can contribute and support other women and other makers. So that's been a really nice thing. And I set up that Instagram separately to Scummy Mummies because – the tone of that is very different to scummy. I mean, mm. I'm still trying to be kind of light, but sometimes my posts are quite sincere Yes, and I feel like yeah. it, it, it just needed a separate account and people, when they go to Helen, where's a size 18, they know what they're going to get. You know, there's a, there's, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Same with your podcast. It's not a lot mm. of good. You know, you go there and you talk about some of the hard feelings and you talk about what it is to, you know, be a woman who's bigger living in a, fat phobic world and how that can feel and stuff and learning to to fall in love with yourself again which aren't we all entitled to feel that way yeah
3: absolutely Absolutely. we're all gorgeous and glorious yeah absolutely of course i have days where i go oh god you look 400 um and you know wow that mustache is really coming along nicely Um, (laughs) but but also it's about being kind To yourself and sort of saying, Yeah, "Yeah, I'll probably feel better tomorrow, or it's all right to feel like that today. You don't have to you don't have to feel fabulous and love yourself every moment of the day and that's okay
1: I agree and I I you know whatever I feel about myself I don't wang on about it in front of my kids I walk around it I walk around naked always have have done totally (laughs) and I've got two sons and a daughter Helen and I walk around the house happily in the nude and I'm like I actively want my daughter to see my real body I want my sons to know that this is what a woman. Can look like... Do you know what she I mean? She has <laughs> pubic hair, son. She has pubic hair. So I think it's important. Obviously, I'll come to my son. My eldest son's nine. So I think he's getting to the point now. Where he's like, oh, and that's fair enough. It but. Is, enough it's so mother. important. Yeah. yeah. I remember when Ella was about
2: four, because I was six months postnatal, I think with Izzy, and I was getting dressed in the morning and she really like didn't mean anything by it, but she really harmlessly went, mummy, you didn't tuck it in. And I was like, What? and it was my tummy she meant I meant to tuck it in my jeans and it was so <laughs> funny I, I I was immediately like ow oh. but then I looked at her and realized it was just a statement there was no meaning behind no, it at all no. she was basically you know because you, I used to tuck her you know her tops in her trousers for her and all that kind of thing so yeah. she was just sort saw, of saw this bit of tummy <laughs> hanging over Tuck-a-teen. and oh, was just being cute. trying to be helpful and I yeah. was a bit like and I oh. thought she's not questioning my body she's just going you got a bit of tummy you need to put back in your jeans there mum you know and yeah. it, I just thought oh bless so they just that's what we need isn't it to, to unpick all that yeah. crap we've been fed and go back to where you're that age and you just
1: accept your body like there's no mm. stuff put on you it's kind of do you remember becky when wilf who's my youngest when he was about three he um was giving me a cuddle and he got hold of my back fat and he went <laughs> what is this mummy You know, that little bit that hangs underneath (laughs) the bra. Oh, yeah, that's
3: lovely. Is is it a boobie? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, love. It's
1: it's my third and my fourth breast.
3: (laughs) It would be quite (laughs) handy to have a couple of
1: extra
2: breasts, wouldn't it? So, Helen, we finish every podcast episode with the same question that we ask all our guests. So if you could add a note to a mother box headed out for a new mother with your best bit of
3: advice in it, what would it be? I would say once a month, get a takeaway in a bottle of Prosecco and invite over two good friends nice. and make that oh, nice. compulsory. Lovely. Oh, fantastic.
2: Perfect. Oh, thank you so much, Helen, for coming on. It's been lovely. It's been really nice to chat to you. Absolutely. you, delight. darling. I didn't want it to end.
3: You girls are amazing. <laughs> and on behalf of mums, thank you for writing your books and doing what you do. The work is so important. So thank you for having me on your wonderful show. Thank you, darling. Oh, I Take love care, you guys. Love. All See the best. You again. Bye. Bye thanks once
1: again to Helen Thorne for coming on the show and being such a brilliant guest she's nothing short of a breath of fresh air if you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about the work that we do look out for our books the little book of self-care for new mums and the little book of self-care for mums to be where we will talk further about birth parenthood relationships and much more Join us again next week for more chats with another amazing guest.
2: Do let us know what you thought over on Instagram and please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. See you next time on Notes from the Motherbox.